how many of you have older brothers or sisters? Raise your hand. So I have six older brothers and sisters. I'm the youngest of seven. I'm, I'm from a, um, well, compared to Hmong people, I'm from like a medium-sized family or so. Um, but growing up, right, I have, I have a brother who is uh, a little older than me. When I was in eighth grade, he was a senior in high school. And the thing about my brother was, was that he was like the most popular guy in school. He was a jock. He was, you know, the O-line of the football team, the D-line of the football team. He was, a, he was a track star. He did discus, did shot put. He was a power lifter. Um, when, when, uh, when, we were in, in, uh, when we were in high school, kids would say, you know what, those 100-pound 100, 100 dumbbells, we used to use them to prop the door open, but your brother actually used them to, to curl, to actually use them for what they were made for, you know? And so I had this expectation of living up to my brother's shadow, right? So I said, Mom, I'm going to play football. When I'm in high school, I'm going to play football, right? So I was like, Mom, I'm going to play football. My mom said, no. And I was like, why? But like, my brother, he, 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 you know, yeah, he's played football and everything. She's like, no, I want you to focus on school. You know, like every good Asian parents, you know, I want you to focus on school. And so I was, I was pretty crushed. And so my mom said, tell you what, I'll make you a promise. You finish school, I mean, if you, if you get straight A's, do well in school, sophomore year, I'll let you play football. So I was like, all right, game on. So that year, you know, I studied, I worked hard, I got straight A's, I made the high honor roll. I didn't make the straight, I mean, I didn't get like A plus, like I'm not that smart, but I made the high honor rolls, first and last time in my high school career, right? And so when I was, so, so I, at the end of the year, I showed my mom my report cards, I said, hey, mom, look what I got, A, 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 a minus, A minus, A minus, A minus. All right? So I'm going to play football. I, I, you know, I got my number picked out from my jersey. I'm going to talk to coach, yada, yada, yada. I just need you to sign these papers. And my mom's like, nope. You're going to learn how to work. You're going to learn how to save money. You're gonna, I'm going to take you, and we're going to go look for a job. So I was crushed, right? But I had to. So, so um, the rest of my high school career, I was uh, I worked at Taco John's making tacos. So that was my high school life. Let me ask you this. Have you guys ever been hurt or crushed by a broken promise? Have someone made a promise with you, but they didn't come through, and it, and it, and it you know, just caused pain, wounding? Sometimes you get angry. Sometimes you, you even feel regret. Or even on the flip side, have you, have you ever broken a promise? And the result of that, you've hurt someone. You made someone angry. You made someone bitter. You see, the reality is, we live in this broken world. It's full of broken people. My mom, the lady who, who prayed for me every morning, who I trusted, who was my spiritual leader until I went to college. The person who had authority over me. 
she broke a promise she made for a 13-year-old boy whose fate was to become the next Reggie White. But of course, you know, I've forgiven her. I've grieved about that part. You know, I've done my, my duties. I've, you know, gone past that. But you see, we live in this broken world where promises cannot be accounted for. You know, you, you, see, you see that there's contracts, right? We have contracts that has to be signed. We have legal documents that, um, that exist so no one can take advantage of, you know? Uh, Prenups are getting more and more popular nowadays in society. You know, I've heard this phrase being tossed around when I was younger, and I, I actually even started to believe it. The phrase, promises are meant to be broken. Promises are meant to be broken. I would say it casually, I would say it seriously, and eventually I would start to believe it. And so when people would start to break promises in my world, when my family, when my loved ones would break promises in my world, then I start to view God the same way. I say, God, your promise isn't coming through. I think you just lied to me. But you see, We've been, the last couple of weeks, well, it sh should have been last week, but we had the snow day, but the week prior, uh, the week before that, we start, we talked about the idea of why, uh, why was Jesus born a baby? And this is the reason why. This is one of the reasons why I want you guys to get this, is that it's because God does not break his promises. He's not a broken, fragile human being like we are. He's full, complete, pure, and good. See, God not only um, keeps his promise, he is a promise-making, promise-keeping God. And so we're going to dive more into it. If you have a Bible, a Bible app, or you just want to follow along on the screen, we're going to be in the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah. So before we dive into the word, I'm just going to talk about Isaiah, who he is, and um, the background of what's going on at that time. See, Isaiah was a prophet, right? A prophet. A prophet, they, they were people, you know, they, 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 weren't, they weren't that, uh, that special in, in the world, but to God they were special because God chose them. He handpicked them to be the mediator for God and the king. So, so as a prophet, your role is to talk to the king. Whatever God says to you, you talk to the king. King, you're bad. I'm just the messenger. Don't kill me, but that's what God says. You're bad. You need to be good, you know? Things like that. So that, that's, what, that's the role of the prophet. So during this time, during this time, um, prophets, they don't speak directly to the people, Right? They speak to the king, and the king speaks to the people. So during this time, there was a king. His name was Ahaz. King Ahaz. Why have we not heard about this king? Is this the first time you guys heard about King Ahaz? Some of you guys? It's because he was a bad king. No one really talked about him. He was in this one chapter, and that was it, right? So during this time, King Ahaz, he was an evil king, but he was the king that Isaiah was under. And, and during this time, he ruled a kingdom called Judah. And during this time, Judah was being attacked by two northern kingdoms. And, 
And so God tells Isaiah, Isaiah, go to King Ahaz and talk to him. So he goes to King Ahaz, and, and King Ahaz is like freaking out because these two kingdoms are attacking him. And Isaiah's like, King, don't be afraid. Just be careful. Calm down. Don't be afraid, right? And um, King Ahaz, he's just kind of like, I don't really want the Lord's help. Or he says like these religious words like, I don't want to test the Lord. And Isaiah was a little ticked because he's like, are you serious? Like, like God is giving you a chance to turn and be good, be righteous in front of him. This is your chance to repent, come to him. And here you are, you're trying to test the Lord's patience. And so he drops this bomb onto the king. And he says, Verse 14, he says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. I don't know about you, but that's not really good, you know, battle plans right there. But, but these words were treasured by the people of Israel. This was the hope that they've held on to, even till this day, to, to the Jewish nation. Because this is the description of their Savior. You see, in the next, chap- in the next few chapters, I'm not going to have you flip there, but he says, he talks more about this Messiah. He talks more about the Savior. And he says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and his name shall be called, if you guys know the Messiah, Hondo's Messiah, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Every time I read this, the song goes into my head. But these were directly from the book of Isaiah. You see, the thing is that even though this was just words given to the king during the time of trouble, the people of Israel, they held on to these words, and they owned it, and they believed that their Messiah was coming. So after the kingdom of Judah falls, and the, Israel, um, the people of Israel, they are, they're in exile. They come back, and they rebuild the city. And these words that Isaiah had spoken to King Ahaz had become a promise of hope and strength to the nation. Never again did the, did the people of Israel go to, a different, uh, go to a different religion or go to uh, different idols. They turned fully to God, hoping, waiting on their Messiah. And you know how long they waited? 800 years. Some scholars say even more than that. It could be anywhere from 750 to 1,000 or 1,100 years. They waited that long for a promise that God gave them. I don't know about you, but 800 years is a long time. I can't even wait one year. Like, I can't even wait, like, eight days. Like, that's even too long for me. And this was 800 years. So fast forward 800 years from now. Fast forward 800 years from now. The book of Matthew. And I'm just going to read a little, little part of it, but I'm going to explain what is going on. There is a man. His name is Joseph, right? He's about, I'm saying, 25 to 30 years old or so. He is engaged to a lovely lady named Mary. Mary, probably about 12 to 16 years old, she, you know, became a woman at that time, so that means she was ready for marriage. I don't need to explain more about what that means, but during that time, she was engaged 
but she became pregnant, right? And so Joseph was like, oh my goodness, what is this girl doing, right? Because he has to wait a whole year and prepare a home for his bride, right? So while he was waiting, he's like, you know what? I'm not going to shame her because I know the law, and the law says that if a lady gets pregnant during the engagement before we are together, they're going to kill her, you know? They're going to stone her. So I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to divorce her, divorce her in silence. So we pick off right on verse 20. It says, after he has um, considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, just follow, follow, um, follow Mary. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So just in case, if you are one of the listeners and you did not understand what the angel said to um, Joseph, Matthew writes in verse 22, 23, follow along with me. It says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the prophet Isaiah, FYI, right? The prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel meaning with us, El meaning God, God with us. And if I was Joseph, I'd been like, oh my gosh, right? Or oh my Adonai, I don't know, whatever he, he said, right? Oh my goodness, these are the same, this is the promise that I've been studying about. So if you were the readers and this is the first time you've heard these words, the Gospel of Matthew, and, and uh, most, we believe that the Gospel of Matthew was written to a bunch of Jews. So, so if you hear this for the first time, you're like, oh my gosh, this is it. This is what we've been waiting for. These are the exact words that we've been learning since we were a child, the exact words we've been memorizing when we were kids. This is it. This Jesus that we've heard of, this Jesus that we're reading about is the Savior. So the impact of what the people would, 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 be, would be like was like, man, this is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, who my ancestors have been waiting, fighting, and even dying for the last 800 years. He lived among us, right? This was the promise that Isaiah said to, the, to King Ahaz 800 years ago. You see, that was a proof that God did not break his promise. That was proof that God did not break his promise. In, in, in fact, he doesn't, he, in fact, um, this, the particular nativity scene that we see during this time, we see during Christmas, we see over and over and over again, like right after Thanksgiving, and for some of you guys, even before Thanksgiving, because you guys are a little too excited about Christmas, this nativity scene, it launches actually a new promise, a new promise. And, and the thing is, like, for this, for this next few minutes, I'm, I'm kind of, 
I'm, I'm going to burst your Christmas bubble. I'm sorry beforehand, but it's, it's really, um, I want you guys to see this beautiful picture of what's painted here in this nativity scene. You see, Jesus actually, well, first of all, let me, let me explain to you. You know, I don't know if you guys know, but Jesus wasn't Hmong, or Jesus was Hmong. Did you hear that? Have you guys heard about that? Because, you know, when Elizabeth sees Mary, and the Bible says the Holy Spirit was filled inside of her, and she said, blessed are you, Mary, among women. Ha, 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 ha. I've been waiting so long to say that joke, but... So, but, but I'm just kidding about that. But the, the new promise of this nativity scene, let me explain it to you. So ancient Jewish homes, right? I'm going to explain to you. Ancient Jewish home, um, they are a double-story home. They're kind of in a box made out of stones, right? So ancient Jewish home, the first level, there's, there's four rooms. There's a room right here at the edge. That's where the family would stay. That's their private areas. That all the family members would sleep there. There's the middle room. This is the living room, kitchen, dining room. The guest comes, they eat. There's a back room. Oh, sorry. There is a back room back here, and that is the guest room. So if the guests are, are over, that's where they sleep. That's where they stay. That's where they rest. And there is a room over here where they keep the pets, their animals, in, right? So... I know, I know the story says that in the Bible it says that there wasn't too much room in the inn, and so uh, there wasn't room in the inn, so Jesus was in a barn, and so that's, I th that's a little uh, bad translation, we would say, but I just want you to paint this picture, follow along, because this is what a lot of scholars, they, they, they're starting to believe now, because Jesus actually, when, when Joseph and Mary, they walked, they came to Bethlehem, right? There, there was a lot of people there, so what Jesus, or what Joseph did was he, he went into one of his relatives' house, and because there wasn't room, and you never kick your guests out, right? If, a, if your cousins come, you never kick them out and say, hey, we don't have room for you, go find a hotel. Like, we never, you never do that, right? This culture, you never do that. So because there wasn't room in the guest room, right? I think the translation is more not an inn, but the guest room. They had to stay where the animals were staying. And there, they have this upper room, right? This upper room where um, they believe that Mary and Joseph, they were there, and that's where she had Jesus. Because this would make more sense because the heat from the animals will keep the baby warm. And during this time, this is where the baby was born, and Jesus was born. And, and the Gospel of Luke said that he wrapped him in swaddling cloth, right? It's funny, he says this, we probably, we're just like, oh, we're used to it. It's December 25th, it's the, the, the nativity scene. This is normal, right? But this actually means, these are actually funeral words. These are funeral words saying that this baby came down, he fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, but he's, he's going to die. And if you were Jewish and you heard this, you knew it. You're like, man, he's going to die. Because on top of that, the animals that were in the house, they weren't work animals. The animals that were in the house, the work animals stayed outside, but the animals in their house, that was their precious pet, unblemished, clean, and pure. It was part of their family. But eventually, they know that during the time, they would have to sacrifice this animal. So if you are a listener at that time and you're listening, you're like, I know it. This baby came to die. He came to die. He fulfilled this promise, but he came to die. 
and eventually they will have to they will have to these animals they would have to sacrifice them according to their law and i'm just going to stop here because i'm going to invite Greg to come up. I just talked about a little promise that God fulfilled. Greg is actually going to come and talk about a bigger promise for us, for you, and for me. Because there is a bigger promise. See, the, the promise that God made in Isaiah 800 years prior to Jesus, that was the small promise. And it was one among many promises that the Old Testament talked about, that the writers and more prophets wrote about Jesus. But it was part of a much bigger promise. Because there was a promise that actually started over 2,000 years before Jesus was born. There was a promise that was so much grander in scale, in scope, than simply saying that a virgin would give birth to a son from the line of David. That was a small promise. There was a big promise. God first gave this big promise to Abraham, who is considered the father of the Jewish people. And then God repeated this promise over and over and over again. Century after century, God repeats the promise. And the Jews held on to this big promise. And it's a big promise that, that arcs all the way through Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation. And the authors of the New Testament who, who came after Jesus, they knew this promise. They were part of this promise, and they wrote about this promise. So we're going to look at the book of Galatians. The Apostle Paul wrote about this promise. And in fact, in Galatians 3, Paul talks about this promise a lot. In fact, toward the end of Galatians 3, Paul talks about this promise eight times in eight verses. Here are just a few examples. Paul talks about the promises were spoken to Abraham. The law, which was the Jewish law, how they lived in accordance in relationship with God. The law does not do away with the promise. God in his grace gave an inheritance to Abraham through a promise. So what is this promise? What is this promise that started 2,000 years prior to these words being written? Well, what this promise was, was essential to Paul's argument in the book of Galatians. See, Paul makes an argument, and it was a really important argument. The primary theme of Galatians is that we are saved by faith in Jesus Christ. Because the Jews of the time, there was, there was a group that argued that, that you were saved through Jesus and portions of the Moses Law what we might call some of the books of the Old Testament, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, things like that. And there was a group saying we were, that they were saved by Jesus and the law. And Paul wrote Galatians to fight against that lie. To say the promise, the big promise, the biggest promise of God was not dependent 
on the behaviors you were doing. That is not how we are saved. And as part of this argument about that we are saved by faith in Jesus, Paul says what the promise is. And this promise that God started 2,000 years before Jesus came was that we could be a part of God's family. We could be adopted sons and daughters of God. You see, we are not born children of God. That's actually a really common misunderstanding. We aren't born children of God. In fact, the New Testament even describes us that, that when, you, when you are not following Jesus, you're actually an enemy of God. You're not a child of God. But this promise that, that God gave Abraham 2,000 years, he fulfilled in Jesus, and now 2,000 years later, still stands for you and for me. This promise is that we can be God's sons and daughters. So Paul takes this idea and continues it, and he says it very clearly in the next chapter, in chapter 4. So we're, we're going to look at a few of those verses in, in Galatians 4, starting with verse 4. Here it is. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, Jesus, born of a woman, Mary, born under, excuse me, born under the law, that's the law of Moses, to redeem those under the law. And at that time, that's a direct reference to Israelites. But now that also, by extension, refers to us. That God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, to redeem us. Redeem is another word to buy us back. That we might receive adoption to sonship and daughtership. That's, you want to know why Jesus was born a baby? So that you could be adopted by God. God wants you in his family. And Paul says it right there. That's the big promise of the whole Bible. From Genesis to Revelation. The promise that God made and the promise that God kept in Jesus and the promise God keeps today is that you can be a part of God's family. You can be adopted into God's family. So what happens when you're God's son, God's daughter? Well, Paul continues. Let's go. Because you are his sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son, that's Jesus, kind of capital S, the spirit of a son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out Abba, Father. Now, that's the Holy Spirit. If you've been around church, you've probably heard the Holy Spirit. That's God's Spirit, that when you choose to follow Christ, you choose to repent, follow, and obey Jesus Christ. God gives you His Spirit. He gives you His presence living inside you. That's, That's part of what it means to be God's child, to be God's son, God's daughter, God's family, is you get that Holy Spirit. 
you get God's presence inside you. And that Holy Spirit calls out Abba Father. Okay? Calls out because Abba, Abba is it is the word, it's a word, it's a kid's word for daddy. It's not something you say of somebody else's father. You know? Only children call their own father Abba. Father. And that's what being inherited, that's what being adopted, excuse me, adopted into God's family means. The Holy Spirit is inside you, and you can cry, Abba, my Father. Not just Father, Father, my Father, my Daddy. Because you are no longer a stranger. You are no longer outside of God's presence. You are in God's presence, in God's family. And this Holy Spirit lives inside you to empower you, to to speak to you, to guide you, to do miracles in your life. God's Spirit inside you. So now let's continue. One more verse. So you are no longer a slave. And this is in a larger context of a reference because he talks about Excuse me. He talks about in a household, there are children and there are slaves. The children are treated differently than their slaves. The slaves serve the master, but the children belong to the master, to the father. And outside of Christ, you're just serving around the house. You're, still, you're a servant in the house. But when you say yes to Jesus Christ, you become a son, you become a daughter. You are no longer simply living in the house. That's this reference of you are no longer a slave in the house. You're a son. You're a daughter. But you are God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. You, are, you receive an inheritance that was promised over 4,000 years ago. God first made the promise of that inheritance. He first made it to Abraham, and then the Jewish nation, and now to the, those who say yes to Jesus Christ. And that is the inheritance of salvation, the inheritance of being saved. So why was Jesus born a baby? Why was Jesus born a baby? So that you could be saved so that you could be adopted into God's family. That is the most important reason. That's the best reason, so that you can be saved, so you can be adopted, you can be God's son, you can be God's daughter. You could receive an inheritance from a king. You receive a king's inheritance, now in this present life and with God for eternity. So I want to ask you, are you saved? Are you God's son? Are you God's daughter? Can you say yes to that without a doubt? That you have made that decision to say yes to Jesus and be adopted into God's family. Being a part of a Christian family does not make you a part of God's family. Growing up going to church, being a member of a church does not adopt you into God's family. That adopts you into a church family, but it doesn't make you a son, a daughter of the king. 
The way you do that is you say yes to the baby in the manger. You say yes to Jesus, fully God, fully human, and born here on earth. That's the great gift of Christmas. That's the hope of Christmas, that you can be saved from your sin You can be saved from your failure. You can be saved from your guilt. You do not have to carry the weight of all of your guilt. That is never the way God intended His children to be. Being saved means not just spending an eternity with God, but spending a life with the Holy Spirit inside you. You do not have to take the guilt, the punishment for your mistakes. That's what happened when Jesus Christ died. He was born so that he could die. And he could take that punishment, that guilt, that shame, that embarrassment, that habit, that addiction, the thing you can't seem to break. Jesus was born to take that from you, to take that off your shoulders onto his. That's why Jesus was born a baby, so that you could be saved, not just from the consequences of sin and selfishness, but from the result day in and day out of all the little decisions and all the big decisions we make that hurt other people and hurt ourselves. You do not have to carry the weight of those mistakes and those choices yourself. That's what Jesus is there for. That's what he wants. That's what it means to be saved. And that's why Jesus was born a baby. So that you could be God's son. You could be God's daughter. It's it's so much bigger than simply attending church. It's so much bigger than kind of doing the Christian stuff. Are you God's son? Are you God's daughter? Can you call him daddy? Can you call him your father? Not just our father in heaven, but can you say God is my father? And if you can't, if you're not sure, today is a great day to say yes to Jesus, to be adopted into God's family. That's the hope of Christmas. That's the promise of God. And that's why Jesus was born baby. Join me in prayer. God, we thank you that you sent your son to be born a baby, fully human, so that he could understand, he could empathize with all that we go through. And fully God, so that he could conquer what we cannot. He can take the punishment of sin that we really deserve. That he could save us when we can't save ourselves. Fully human, fully God. So we thank you for Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for every person here who has said yes to Jesus. We thank you 
that these people are your adopted daughters and your adopted sons. Lord, and for those, those here who aren't sure about that, God, come down to them now. Draw them to you. Hold them into the arms of a loving Father and, and tell them that they are your child and that you want to adopt them into your family to receive the inheritance of a king. So we thank you for the baby Jesus. We thank you for Christmas. We thank you for the manger. And we thank you that you keep your promises. And you promised a Jesus to us. You gave us a Jesus. And you promise us life with him and life with you and you keep your promises. So thank you that you keep your promises, God. So I lift this congregation, and I lift our time, and I lift Christmas, the day, up in the name of Jesus Christ, the baby, and our Savior. Amen.